0: Now, the word pastor, the word elder, um, the word bishop, uh, all those words mean the same thing, overseer. I noticed that my black pastor friends like the word bishop. And that's fine. It means the same thing as an elder. Uh, Elder means the same thing as a pastor, okay? Now, the first uh, six verses deals with elders. And then beginning in verse 7, It talks, uh, I'm sorry, verse 8, it talks about the qualifications for a deacon. Now, there are two offices in the church. There's a lot of different things you do in the church, but there's only two offices. There's the office of elder or pastor, again, several different names, and then that of a deacon. The qualifications are different. The job responsibilities are different. Uh, Many churches don't have elders, if you have a senior pastor, you have at least one elder. But um, in the New Testament, there, were that, there was that division. I, I've always heard it said that you know, a, deacon, a person shouldn't pursue being a deacon. Well, that's not what the Bible says. Uh, for example, listen to verse 1. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, not deacon. Deacon doesn't come into play till verse 8. It says he uh, aspires to be an overseer. It's a fine work that he desires to do. And then he goes into a, a list of these things. And I want you to listen for the word must. These aren't suggestions. These are things that God says these are the must uh, of, of, a, of, a, of an elder of a, or a pastor. The overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife. Probably of all these qualifications, the ones uh, over the years has been the most controversial. Has been that one. What does it mean to be the husband of, of one wife? Well, many take it literally. If you take it literally, Jesus Christ could not be an elder in your church because he's not the husband of one wife. Okay, so well, let's let's rule out the literal interpretation. And uh, over when he talks about uh, the deacon, he says one at a time. Uh, I, I think it's slightly different I'm not very much but uh, I took Greek for two years in, in college and in seminary and uh, there was a man that taught Greek for 50 years at Southwestern Seminary, 50 years he had a set of commentaries on the Greek New Testament and I bought those and, and when I bought them one of the things I wanted to rush over and see what he said was what he said about this verse right here and I expected a long, you know, several paragraphs explaining this. Here's what he said. One at a time, clearly. One at a time, clearly. Every church has to deal with that. But husband of one wife. Temperate. Prudent. Respectable. Hospitable. Able to teach. Now, you won't find that for a deacon. That's, that's not a qualification for a deacon to be apt to teach. But here he does that for the elder. Not addicted to wine or pugnacious. We don't use that word every day, do we? Pugnacious. Um, I tried to find that in my little small dictionary last night. It wasn't even there. You have to go to a big dictionary and find out what that means. But gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. Here's the word must again. He must be one who manages his own household well. Keeping his children... Uh, uncontrolled with all dignity I'm sure glad that doesn't say teenagers <laughs> well, fortunately for us preachers it says children all right. but if a man does not know how to manage his own household how then will he take care of the t- church of God and not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation cured by the devil and here's that word must again And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, let me say this. God uses imperfect men to be pastors because he doesn't have any perfect ones. The only perfect one he ever had got crucified. So if you're going to try to go out and find a perfect one, you probably can't afford him. There's going to be a bidding on him. All the churches are going to want him. So when you look at this, just realize that there's no perfect person, okay? I saw this little poem one time, and I thought it was kind of cute. Unfortunately, there's a whole lot of truth in it. But it's, it's, the poem is entitled The Perfect Pastor. This is what it says. He preaches 12-minute sermons. Amen, right? Okay. Now, he condemns sin, but never upsets anybody. He works from 8 o'clock in the morning until midnight, and he's also the church janitor. He makes $60 a week. He wears nice clothes. He buys good books. He drives a nice car, and he gives $80 a week to help the poor. He's 28 years old, but he's had 30 years' experience in ministry. He's wonderful. He's gentle. He's good looking. He has a burning desire to work with young people, but he spends most of his time with seniors. He makes 15 house calls on church members every single day, but he visits the shut-ins, he visits the people in the hospital, he evangelizes the unchurched, and he's always in the office if he's he's needed. Hmm. (laughs) You know, some churches want their pastor to have a job description. I don't think you can do that. I really don't think you can sit down and write out everything a pastor is supposed to do. It's, a, it's sort of a new experience every day. I found this to be true. A good one doesn't need one, and a bad one won't do one. So you can do that if you want to. But if I were to ask you today to, to just use one word, one word that you would say is the Thing I would look for in a pastor. Think about that for a moment. I had lunch with three of my preacher friends this week, and I asked them that very same question. And we kind of came to the conclusion that the one word that we would use, above all other things, that we would like for our pastor to have is the word humility. You know, remember what it said about Moses. It says over in uh, uh, Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3, Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Of course, Moses had a right to be humble. He came into this world as a basket case. (laughs) The rest of you will get that in, in just a minute. What is the one word that Jesus used to describe himself? Listen to us. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you shall find rest for your souls. I don't think God's interested in greatness. In fact, the Bible says not many mighty are called. The Bible says God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I think God's looking for humility in a person. In fact, the Bible says that God resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. Now, what are the characteristics of a humble person? A humble person, number one, will will listen to you. A humble person is teachable. Uh, a, 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 the right pastor is going to come in here and he's going he's to listen to you, okay? He's going to learn from you. He's not going to bring his agenda in here and ask you to adopt it. He's going to find out where you've been in the past, what, what's caused your church to grow. And, and, and a, a humble person is going to take responsibility for their mistakes. He's going to be willing to come to the pulpit and say, I made a, 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 I made a bad Decision here, But I made it with my head and not my heart. So humility is that thing that I think that uh, stands out in my mind. Uh, the second thing is a sense of divine call. I, I, I can't put this one high enough. Huh? L- listen to Romans chapter 1. What Paul says about himself. So I can turn my page. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ, called, called To be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. He says basically the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, what does it mean to be called? If you're called to to be in the ministry. I used to say this at Highland, in my very humble but accurate opinion. Uh, Those of you that were at Highland when I was there, you know I said that. Um, It means that person cannot do anything else in life and be happy. I'm not saying you can't retire and go be the greeter at Walmart someday. But if you're called to be in the ministry, you're not going to be content doing anything else. I graduated from Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth. And I remember the very first day of class. Um, Back then, there wasn't very many women in seminary. Today, there's probably more women getting an MD for of a truck than there are men and I think that's a fact but back in those days we didn't have very many women in our class so the very first day of class I can't remember the professor's name but he said gentlemen if you can do anything else in life and be happy there's the door have a great life now some people may have thought he's trying to talk you out of being a preacher I knew exactly what he meant The ministry is for people who are called. And they're called by God. Thirdly, a pastor should realize that uh, leadership is plural. It's plural. Um, Listen to Philippians chapter 1 when Paul writes to the church at Philippi. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus... Who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. Notice how he uses that word in the plural. Being a pastor is a shared responsibility, and you have to be willing to share that responsibility with others. I know a pastor that uh, pastored a church that actually ran over 5,000 a week in attendance. But he told me one day, he said, my assistant pastor is my assistant pastor. He will not be called my associate pastor because that was too much like him. He didn't want somebody to be on equal plane with him. He wanted to be his assistant, but he wanted to be the pastor. I I don't think so. I think as a pastor, you have to realize that it's a shared responsibility. I remember one time at Highland, I was standing out on the... The yard there of the office, and uh, Sean Richmond, our at that time our youth pastor, was talking to somebody. I was talking to a fellow pastor. And in a moment, when he got through talking to Sean, he said, uh, "Well, pastor, I'll I'll see you next time." And then he walked off. Well, my preacher friend turned to me and said, doesn't, "Doesn't that bother you?" I said, "What?" He said, "He just called that guy pastor." I said, "He is a pastor." No, you're the pastor. No, I'm the senior pastor. But he's the past—he's also a pastor. It's a shared responsibility. I don't know what you call Brandon in this church. I'd call him Pastor Brandon. Because that's what he does. He's, he, he's, he'll be just as much of a pastor to you and mentor you and shepherd you as your new senior pastor. At Highland, we kind of had a plurality of leadership. And uh, there was... Uh, we had elders at Highland, still have elders at Highland, and there were I think four more. Four when I came, there were four elders and myself, and um, we were all uh, equal, and we uh, they they helped me a lot. They uh, they took a lot of responsibility, but uh, here here's the policy that we had: we didn't make any decisions until all five of us were in agreement. If one said, I have a check in my spirit about that, then we put that on hold until we could all come to a place of agreement. And then we had, the church understood that we were a ministry team. If you were in the hospital and one of the elders came to see you, nobody could call back and say, well, I was in the hospital and Barry didn't come to see me. The ministry staff came to see you. See, the ministry staff came to see you. And we, make, we tried to make sure that no one got neglected. And we had elders that were particularly gifted in administration. Jim Stewart, he's gone to be with the Lord now. He was one of our elders. When we, when we had an administrative thing, he was very good at working through administrative things. Uh, another deacon was, I'm, I'm sorry, another elder was particularly good about just ministry to people. If I were in the hospital, I'd want him to come see me. He just had that ability to make you feel good, to, to comfort you. And so that's what plurality of ministry means. And I think a pastor needs to understand that. He's not the only person. It's a shared responsibility. Then number four, I think a pastor needs to understand accountability. I don't know what the formula for success is, but I know what the formula for failure is. You let one person have total control of your church. And you're going to be destined for problems. I've seen that many, many times. And I've seen pastors come in and just uh, kind of take that. Uh, but look, the Bible says that, uh, I believe the Bible teaches this, that people in ministry are held to a higher accountability than just lay people. And, uh, well, for example, in Titus, it says twice in Titus, elders should be blameless in verse 6 and in verse 7. They They're to have a good standing in the community. It's, it's interesting to me that way back in Leviticus, book about laws, Leviticus chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, talks about how a person in leadership is to make amends for something that he does accidentally. If he accidentally does something wrong, there's a certain thing he has to do to make amends. That was Old Testament stuff. Now, when you come to the New Testament, Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, talks about how to rebuke an elder when an elder gets out of line or does something wrong. Let me read it in verse, uh, chapter 5 of uh, Timothy, beginning in verse 19. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Somebody comes to you and says, well, the little pastor did something. No, no, on the basis of two or, or three witnesses. And then he says, uh, those who continue to sin, that is the elder, the leader that continues to sin, rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. In other words, he is to be rebuked publicly. Uh, There was a big thing that happened several years ago in Colorado. I won't call his name. You may remember it. But he was the pastor of a huge church. I mean, I was in that church one day. And at that time, they seated, it, seat, it would seat 4,000 people, and they were getting ready to build one that seats around 12, as I, as I recall. And he had two sets of elders, which I... He had a set of elders in his church that just governed the, the, the church, the, the church, the individual people, and then he had a set of elders that he was accountable to. Well... And he preached, he, he was the chairman of some big national Christian organization. He was caught red-handed soliciting a male prostitute. I mean, the conversation was recorded. The elders in charge of his discipline asked him to step down from the church. Uh, it was such a high-profile case that he actually got on Oprah Winfrey show. And on the Oprah Winfrey show, he ridiculed his church for not doing more for him. In other words, they shouldn't have fired him. Now, let me tell you something. There's a difference between forgiveness and restoration. A husband can cheat against his wife, and and he'll come to me for counseling. And he'll say, well, why can't she just forgive me and let's just go on? Because you don't understand the difference between forgiveness and restoration. She can say, I forgive you, but restoring you back to the place for where you hurt her is a process that takes time. And I'm all for restoration. I think, I think there's a lot of pastors who have made legitimate mistakes with restoration can be brought back into the ministry, and I, I've seen that. But, but I'm also for church discipline. And I think that the churches have a responsibility to see to it that that happens. And that's not just against the pastor. I mean, there's people in the congregation that sometimes just publicly have sinned and need to be publicly disciplined. Fifthly, let's move on. You guys aren't listening fast enough. Uh, <laughs> leadership requires preparation. Leadership requires Preparation. Uh, verse 6 said, it said it's not to be a new convert. It takes time to grow. It takes time to mature. Joshua uh, worked under, uh, under Moses for years before he ever became a leader. David was a shepherd before he ever became a king. Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king before he ever became a king. Now, that, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have uh, seminary. seminary is great and, and seminary gave me a bibliography but I can't remember everything I learned in seminary but I did have a degree in Bible biblical studies from Dallas Baptist University before I went to seminary and I found that when I got to seminary a lot of the things in seminary were very repetitious to what I'd already studied. Now people told me well don't major in Bible when you're in college major in something else and and get that when you're in seminary. I wanted to know as much as I could about the Bible. If I'm sitting in a dentist's office and I say to my dentist, what, what about that tooth? Can you save that tooth? Are you going to cap that tooth, fill that tooth? Well, I don't know anything about teeth. I just felt called to be a dentist. I want a new dentist. <laughs> and I think pastors need to know as much as they can about the scriptures. Uh, But did you know that Billy Graham never went to seminary a day in his life? He went to uh, Bible college. So education is good. But I want you to be aware of this. There's a lot of bogus degrees out there. A degree is only as good as the institution that backs it up. I can have a doctor's degree by next Sunday because I can get it off the Internet. I can get a master's degree. I know a guy that got a Ph.D. for his dog just to show that it could be done. So you might want to ask someone, where are your credentials from? And uh, I think that's important. I had a guy call me one day, a pastor friend called me one day and said, how would you like to have a doctor's degree? I said, "I I didn't know that's how you got one by wanting one, I thought you had to work to get one. Oh, no, 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 there's a school in California that if you will put them on, uh, your church will put them on their budget for a year, they'll come out and confer that doctorate on you in your own pulpit. Well, at that time I was pastoring a college uh, church in Oklahoma. I said, you know, I've got too many people in my church that earn their degrees. I don't know that they'd appreciate me getting one that I bought to be honest with you. And then there are churches that require a certain amount of education. And with that, let me take just a real quick break here. Those allergies are getting me. I remember years ago, there was a a pretty good-sized church. Well, it was a big church. I won't tell you which one, but it was in East Texas. It was the first Baptist church of a big town in East Texas. And they were looking for a pastor. Now, this is something you might want to consider doing. They asked their congregation, if you've ever had a pastor that you think would be a good fit for our congregation, would you write us a letter? Tell us about that pastor and why you think he would be a good fit for our congregation. So I got a call one day from this church. The first thing I asked them was, where, where did you get my name? How did you get my name? I'm up in Oklahoma, and you're, you know, over waiting in deep east Texas. And, and they, they explained it to me. They said, we were impressed with the letter that one of our members sent us about you. We'd like to pursue you if, if, if that's okay. I said, if you feel like the Lord's in it. Then. So they came uh, to Oklahoma. They heard me preach. And then they... Uh, they asked me if I could meet them halfway somewhere so their full committee could come and uh, not have to go so far. So my pastor of my home church in First Baptist Church, Sulphur Springs, allowed me to preach that Sunday night, and the full committee came to hear me. And we went on for weeks and weeks like that. They'd call me and say, now, Barry, I'll pray about this now. We're, we really want to make sure we get God's man then they called me and said, we've narrowed it down to two. And you're one of the two, so you're a finalist. Fine. They Just said, Just, you don't know, pray. I said, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll pray. Another couple of weeks passed by and they called me up and said, we, we settled on the other man because he has a doctor's degree and you don't. I thought, well, wait a minute. Didn't you know this way back months ago when all, all this started? Now listen, I respect a doctor's degree. Don't misunderstand me. They don't give those things away. You have to earn them. But I've heard preachers that had a doctor's degree that could hold a citywide crusade in a phone booth. <laughs> uh, the degree is not always the, the, the thing. But some, again, some churches just think, John Bassanio, for example, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He was pastor of First Baptist Church Houston. The church just exploded when he went there as pastor. And uh, he had never been to seminary. So just think about that, okay? Number six, a pastor needs to be able to balance his time between church and family. He must know how to balance his time between church and family. In fact, that might be a good question if you're on that committee to ask a prospective pastor, how do you balance your time between your church and your family? Uh, My son's probably, my son's watching this in Oklahoma. And he'd probably say, I didn't do a real good job of that when they were little. I went to a church that had been out with, uh, didn't have a pastor for a year. It was a committee-led church, so they put all committees on hold until the pastor came. Then they wanted the pastor to be at every committee meeting. One time I looked at my day timer And I had been to church 31 nights in a row. I said, this is it. I'm not doing that. And so here's what I learned to do. I learned to take my daytimer home and give it to my wife. And I said, you fill in the, the family time that we need, the time that you need. We'll put in our vacation time. and Then when somebody calls me and says, Pastor, can you do I'll say, you know, I'm looking at my day timer, and I'm sorry, but I'm already committed, and I'm under absolutely no obligation to tell them it's for my family. I'll tell you what really got me one night. He, he's probably too young to remember this. But we drove by the church one night, and I heard my young son say to his sister, That's where Daddy lives. You would not want a pastor to get up in this pulpit and say, put your work before your family. You wouldn't want that. There's not a person in this room that would want that. Then why let him model that? Make him take time off. Because a lot of them don't understand. I had a pastor friend in Oklahoma that... uh, he was the pastor of, a, of a, probably the fastest growing church in Oklahoma at that time. I mean, that thing was just blowing the doors out. He had four little girls. Four little girls. And he was a great preacher, dynamic pastor, growing, growing church. One day his secretary said, Your next appointment is here. He said, My next appointment? I, I don't have an appointment on my schedule. He said, It's your wife. And she made an appointment. She walked in and put divorce papers on his desk and said, You're not married to me. You're married to this church, and I want a divorce. Fortunately, they worked it out. He got out of the pasture and went into raising money or something like that. But uh, you've 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 got to work through that. You've got to give your pastor time away from the church. Uh, number, number seven i'm gonna hurry so y'all will be it's always good when i stop talking about the same time you stop listening it works better a pastor should be a student of the word a pastor should be a student of the word now in order for that to happen you have to give your pastor time to study what i tried to do at highland was let my people know when i studied if I said, I study, for example, from 9 to 12 every, every morning, 9 to 12 is three hours there. Then they would understand that, and they wouldn't call during those hours. Or if they called, my secretary would say, well, he's studying right now. Can I have him call you back later? Most people will understand that. Some won't, but most, most will. There's two kinds of preachers. There's voices, and there's Echoes. There's the one that just echoes everything that everybody else has been saying. And then there's a voice that gets a fresh word from God. If you want a voice and not just an echo, you have to give your pastor time to study. Uh, all right. Number eight. It's only two more. So. All right. A pastor needs to be honest with himself and his congregation about his strengths and weaknesses. When I've interviewed with the church, I tell them up front, my strength is not, is not administration. So if you're wanting me to come into your church to be a strong administrator, uh, you need to look someplace else. That's not my strength, and it's not. But fortunately for me, like when I came to Highland, they said, well, we've already, we've already got an administrator. But, you know, you might just ask the uh, pastor that question. What what do you consider to be your strength and weaknesses? And he'll tell you up front. And if he says, Well, my, my strength is not administration, then don't expect him to come in here and be a great administrator, because he told you up front he wasn't. Make sure he surrounds himself or you surround him with people who are good administrators. Uh, if you go back to Acts chapter six and, and discover why that deacons came into being, you remember why deacons came into being? Because the apostles, those who are in charge of the word, said it's not right for us to leave the word and, and study the scriptures and preparing in order to, you know, take care of all these things that's going on out there. And so the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, call out these men and turn that assignment over to them. Let those deacons help you. When I first went to Highland, I think that my first Sunday was Easter Sunday. But the next Sunday, I noticed in the bulletin that it was deacons meeting at 2 o'clock. And so after church, I, I went to and I, I found out who chairman deacons was. So I went to him and I said, uh, I understand deacons meetings at 2 o'clock this afternoon. He said, yes. I said, okay, where do we meet? He said, are you coming? What? I said, aren't I supposed to come? He said, Lord, are you tired? Did you preach twice this morning? I said, yes he said, "Uh, why don't you stay home this afternoon and rest and take a nap? Tell us what needs to be done and we'll do it. I thought. I must be dreaming. (laughs) I'm going to wake up in a minute and this wonderful dream is going to be over. It wasn't a dream. That was the position the deacons at Highland took. We're here to take responsibility off of you so that you can do your work. And I praise deacons. They're, they're wonderful. They're wonderful. In fact, it talks about deacons, and we won't have time looking at that this, this morning. Maybe we do that another time. Number nine, there's actually two more. Okay, I said it a while ago, but this is nine, and I have ten. Okay, ten's short. Ten short. A pastor needs to have a servant heart. Jesus said, I've come not to be ministered to, but to minister and give my life for others. Um, a person that wants to be served is a person that's self-serving and just wants to maintain control. But a pastor that has a servant heart will come in and will listen to you and will, and, and will spend his time serving you because that's what a pastor's supposed to do. But I'm telling you, there's some out there that come into a church. I knew I knew a pastor recently got mad at his church because he didn't think they did enough for him on Pastor Appreciation Day. You want someone that's got a servant's heart. And then lastly, you want someone that exercises biblical stewardship. And I'm not talking about just tithing. I'm talking about living within your means. And... Uh, when, when I moved to Highland, it's been 40 years ago, I guess, because I've been retired 11, and I was there 20, 30 some odd years ago. I didn't buy a church. I, I'm sorry, I didn't buy a home at first. I wanted to get the feel of the congregation and see, we a white collar church, Are we a blue collar church, and I wanted to kind of find the median in the church. And, uh, and so my, and I don't mind telling you, my wife and I bought a $60,000 house. Because I just, I wanted to be with as close to the congregation as I possibly could as far as relating to them. Obviously, if you bought a $60,000 house 30 years ago, it's worth quite a bit more than that today. But um, I know a lot of people are trying to catch up. They're trying to keep up with the Joneses. If you ever catch them, they're going to (laughs) refinance. And when they do, you're going to be in trouble. So... In fact, the Bible says one that doesn't, you know, he's not, money, money's not the deal. Now, I'm sorry if I sound like I'm tooting my horn, but when I came to Highland, I was there two weeks before I ever knew what my salary was. And Jim Stewart called me one day, and he said, I'm sure somebody from the finance committee has gone over your package with you, right? And I said, no. He said, no one has talked to you about what you're going your salary? And I said, no, no. I said, I'm assuming you're not going to let my family starve. Is that a good assumption? <laughs> yeah, we'll, 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 take, we'll take care of you. When a person comes in, the first thing he wants to know is, what is the salary? I, not, red flags. Red flags. So, I, I didn't want to get into that situation until that shall part us. Think about that one for a minute. All right. This is a little different today, and I'm I'm done actually. But because of the nature of this message, I would like for you to feel free, maybe to ask a question that I didn't deal with this morning, uh, pertaining to pastor or something like that. If you'll just stand and ask the question, I'll I'll do my best. Anyone? Yes. Would you be on our pastor selection committee? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'll give them these notes. I'll give them these notes. Let me say, I, I've, I've been with you long enough to know it's going to be an honor. It's going to be an honor for a person to come and be the pastor here. I told you day one, you've got something here in this fellowship a lot of churches don't have. There's a sweet fellowship here, a wonderful fellowship here. And I think uh, some man is going to be very, very blessed and honored to come in here and and be your pastor. Any any other questions? Okay. If you're on the pastor search committee, would you stand? Okay, most of you know these, there's probably some more that are here, right? You have more than three on your committee. <laughs> I think they're serving, so... Okay, they're serving. Good. All right, I want you to look at these men, and I want you to make a commitment to pray for them every single day. Not just as God calls them to your attention. Every single day, I want you to pray for these men. They have been given an awesome task, and they need your prayer. All right? Thank you, gentlemen. All right. I'm spent. (laughs) Wow. Whew. Do Do, I? What do we think of the role of pastors? Why? Oh, wow. Does it affect how we choose our pastors? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Yes. Yes, it does. When I'd go, my first church called my wife as church pianist. I came along as pastor in a package deal. <laughs> Literally, we were sitting around the table. We were sitting around, and our chairs were like. They were talking to me and asking me questions. They said, "Miss Kemp, what do you do?" Uh, "I teach school." "What do you teach?" "I teach music." "Can you play the piano?" "I have a degree in piano." The chairs all turned from <laughs> away from me. and started talking to her. <laughs> So I I got in the deal as, you know, her coat string, I guess. What do you call that? Uh, Yes, pastor's wife can make or break him. Uh, When I would go and be interviewed by church, they'd say, what does your pastor do? I would say, she's my wife. That's a full-time job. She's my wife, and that's a full-time job. Now, she'll be happy to do what other people do in the church. But just because she's my wife, don't come in with expectations that she's suddenly going to be the WMU director and the chairman of this and that. Uh, it's, it's harder to be a pastor's wife than it is to be a pastor. I'm convinced of that. Uh, so, um, thank you. Did I did I answer your question? Okay. Okay. Do I? One time, uh, years ago, a committee came to hear me, and they they put one woman on the committee just to check out the pastor's wife because the previous pastor's wife was such a thorn in everybody's flesh that they wanted to make sure that they had a good feeling about about my wife. Uh, They'd call over to his house and say, Is the pastor there? Well, he's taking a nap right now. And not just that, but she could be. mm. So thank you for that question. All right. Maybe one more. You young people have any questions? Hmm? Besides smiles. Okay. You have a question or? Okay. All right. Why don't we just worship the Lord some more then Then do this. If you're here today, maybe last Sunday or some other Sunday, you made a decision to accept Christ as your Savior, but you never made that public. And I think it's important to make that public. There's, there's something about doing that public that will help you kind of settle that. Or maybe you're here and you've visited this church a few times and you say, man, this is a church that I'm going to be a member of. If you'll come this morning, I know the people would, would want to welcome you and receive you. If you're here today and you just need someone to pray with you, prayer, prayer of agreement, Uh, I'll be here. There's others, I'm sure, that could come and and pray with you. But so uh, let's just spend the the time just uh, closing the service with just worship, okay? I want to say this. I appreciate uh, you extending me the opportunity to be your interim pastor. I don't know how long that'll last. Uh, I I know you're not going to believe this, but I'll be 79 in about a month. See, I told you, a wave of unbelief. (laughs) It's a wave of, of unbelief. And I can't do everything I used to do, (laughs) okay? But I'm going to stay as long as the Lord will uh, allow me and as long as you want me, okay? Is Is that good enough? Okay, let's worship the Lord together.